Hello, friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Friends, this is our fourth and final episode exploring the book of 1 Peter. We talked last time about suffering and how we follow Christ's example, and we are to suffer with humility and a submissive spirit, trusting that God is sovereign over our sufferings and he will not abandon us. And as we turn to this fourth theme, how Peter desired that Christians show the genuineness of their faith in their relationships, I want you to keep in mind that same humble and submissive spirit. Because that same humble and submissive spirit that Peter called for during suffering was to be evident in every other part of the Christian life as well. It's not that you can be a jerk at work or at home and you need to be really meek and mild while you suffer. No, humility and submissiveness is to be practiced in every area of life. And that's going to make it just that much easier when we're called to have that same mindset, have that same attitude while we suffer. So what Peter does in this book is he examines a series of relationships. And you're going to notice the thread of submissiveness and humility running through every single one of these relationships. The first relationship for us to consider is the relationship between Christians and the government. In 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, friends, over the last few years, as I'm recording this in 2022, uh, in America in particular, I think a lot of Christians have awoken to the fact that we don't really understand a lot of what the Bible teaches about the relationship between a Christian and their government. As we look at this passage, we want to note, first of all, that again, Peter says, be subject, but then he gives us the motivation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And to me, that's the key that unlocks this entire passage, this entire idea. Because Peter says, we're not to be subject to the emperor for our sake, right? Because we're scared of what the emperor might do to us. We're not to be subject to the emperor, even primarily for the emperor's sake. We're to be subject for the Lord's sake. So for the Christian, our goal is to please the Lord. Now, for most of us, by God's grace, most of us, most of our life are going to be led by rulers, whether it's a president or a king, uh, who for the most part isn't asking us to do anything or not do anything that's going to lead us to sin. But if we're asked to do something or commanded to do something, that would be a sin for us to not do. If we had a government that said, don't share the gospel, for example, well, then we know that we're not going to obey that command. Because we are only subject to the governor, to the emperor, to the president, to the king, to the prime minister. We are only subject to them for the Lord's sake, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Now, remember that Peter is writing under the reign of Emperor Nero, who is notorious and legendary in history for his brutality and violence towards all people, but particularly towards Christians. And Peter knows full well how Roman governors... Don't always punish those who do evil because Peter saw Pilate, a Roman governor, put to death Jesus and release Barabbas, a criminal. But Peter understands that God has given government to us as a good gift. And the primary posture that a Christian is to have towards their government is humility and submissiveness. Live as people who are free. 
So we don't live as slaves of sin. We don't live as slaves to fear. We use our freedom, not as a cover-up for evil, right? Using our so-called Christian freedom so that we can not pay taxes or we can skip out on jury duty. That's a cover-up for evil. But live as servants of God. Serve the government so that you can serve God. And when the government says don't serve God, then you know which one you have to obey. But the primary posture for most of us is humility and submissiveness. Humility and submissiveness should also be evident in the relationship between slaves and their masters. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 23, and says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When it says servants, friends, a better translation would be the word slaves. So we're talking about slaves and masters. And yes, a lot of the principles that we see here in this text would also apply modern day to employers and employees. But Peter is speaking here first and foremost to slaves. And he says, be subject to all of them, not just to the nice ones, presumably those who are Christians, but also to the unjust, to the cruel, to the wicked. This is a gracious thing. When you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Friends, you can only see this as a gracious thing if you believe what the scripture says that God does in us and through us, through our suffering. We are being sanctified through our suffering. We are serving as a testimony to the grace of Christ in our suffering. And if we believe that, we'll be able to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter says, if you are a slave and you steal from your master and he beats you, that's not a credit to you. But if you refuse to worship the God of your master, if you refuse to offer a sacrifice to false gods and you are beaten and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Here's something that I had to read. I had to read this passage several times before the Lord brought this to my attention. Think about the dignity and honor that Peter shows slaves because he elevates them and says, Christ not only suffered for you as he suffered for all people, whether you're a slave or you're free, But he says that when slaves, when you suffer for doing good, you're being like Jesus. Think about the honor that is. He's saying you, a slave, the bottom of the Roman pecking order, you can be like Jesus. You can suffer for doing good and bring glory to God. So demonstrate humility and submissiveness, even to your masters, even and especially perhaps if they're ungodly. The third relationship that Peter looks at is the relationship between husbands and wives. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor 
to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We have a very uh, highly developed idea in the 21st century about your own personal faith, right? Everyone has to have a, a personal faith, and we're right about that. But understand for a moment just how foreign that concept would have been in the first century Roman world. If you were a child or a woman or a slave, you didn't have a personal faith. You had the faith of either your master or your father or your husband. That was it. So the idea of a wife refusing to worship her husband's God and instead worshiping this Jesus would have been just absolute craziness. That's not what you do. You worship your husband's gods. And if a wife refuses to worship her husband's gods, depending on how seriously her husband took it, he might abuse her and beat her and heap scorn on her. And Peter says, be subject. Even if they don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by your holy and blameless conduct. Now, let me be very, very clear. I do believe that if a husband, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, if a husband puts his hands on his wife, his wife should get out, get safe, and get the police. This man should be charged. This man should be arrested. This man should be put on trial. And if convicted, he should go to jail. But all while this is happening, the wife should be demonstrating a respectful and pure conduct, hoping, praying for her husband's salvation, her husband's repentance, her husband's reconciliation, the reconciliation of their family. But this is not a call for women without exception to stay in the home and take physical abuse and never call the police and never tell anyone. No, that is not what the church has taught. That is not what this passage is teaching. This is teaching that women are to be respectful and loving toward their husband in hopes that they might win them with the gospel. And husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show them honor. Show them honor. So we see the relationship between Christians and the government, slaves and masters, husbands and wives. One more, the relationship between younger and older believers. Here we look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Now, friends, when Peter uses the word elder in this passage, he's not primarily talking about old people, as we would understand it. He's talking to the leaders of the church, the pastors, the shepherds, the overseers, but he's using the word elder. But we'll notice here that he's going to talk to both the elders, but also to the younger people in the church. Here's what he says. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So here's here's Peter modeling that humility. I mean, Peter is one of Jesus's disciples, one of the three who saw the transfigure, the Mount of Transfiguration. He is the one that confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He saw Jesus alive after the dead, and yet he humbles himself and says, I'm a fellow elder. That's all I am. I'm a fellow elder alongside you, and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So you elders, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders, younger people, men, women, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility and submissiveness. Friends, followers of Christ are to be known for three things. First, for their humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, with humility toward one another. And friends, humility is not thinking less of yourself, as C.S. Lewis said. Humility is not 
walking around all day thinking about what an awful person you are and how nobody cares about you. No, humility is thinking of yourself less. Or to be even more precise, humility is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So friends, Peter does give us a beautiful picture of humility in this passage. But our ultimate example of humility is Jesus, who Paul says was in the form of God, but didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be used for his own advantage. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we are to be known for our humility. We're to be known for our gentleness. It says, but in your hearts, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So have an answer for the hope that's in you. If you are willing to suffer for Jesus and someone, perhaps even someone who's persecuting, asks you why, and you can give the reason, but you do it in anger, you do it in bitterness, and you do it with sort of hostility towards them, you've missed the point. We want to answer with gentleness and respect. Christians are to be known for their humility. Christians are to be known for their gentleness. And above all, Christians are to be known for their love. 1 Peter 1, 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart. Friends, it's hard to be a believer. And wherever you're listening, whether it's in the UK, whether it's in Panama, whether it's in the United States of America, persecution is either here or it's on the way. It might take the form of social pressure. It might take the form of family pressure. It might take the form of the loss of job, a loss of freedom, perhaps even the loss of life. And Peter knows it's difficult. And he knows we need to love one another. We need to encourage one another, to be gentle towards one another, to be humble seeking the good of others. And this is how the church will endure. And this is how the church will bring glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus as we suffer for his sake. So the next time we come back together, we're going to begin examination of Second Peter. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.